0: Well, it's good to be back with you. I was away at our Wake Forest location last week delivering the message there, so it's good to get back here and say it's Happy Thanksgiving, and we head into the Christmas season. 20 days left for shopping. You're like, come on now, Rod You're not starting off too well, reminding me of everything I gotta do. But um, for me, Christmas, you can officially start to prepare for Christmas after Thanksgiving. Walmart and Target give you the go-ahead right after Labor Day, they're wrong. (laughs) You can officially start last week uh, to prepare for Christmas. We did, Uh, went and got the tree last week, weekend, and got the ornaments, put on the music, and decorated that tree. So we have begun to get ready for Christmas, but one of the things we'll start to do as well is watch Christmas movies. How many of you have one or two favorite movies, hands are already up, favorite movies you watch during this evening? Yep. You saw one of them last week, Elf, right? We did that last week. We had to buy two copies of that because we watched it so much in our house, we burnt out one of them. Um, so Elf we saw last week. Christmas Vacation will be in this series, so you get to see a little bit of that. Uh, Christmas Story, I love the scene where Flick gets his tongue stuck to the flagpole. There'll be one on that. But today, we're talking about the Grinch. Ah, oh, everybody remembers the Grinch. The one who lives north of Whoville, who hates Christmas, and hates anybody who loves Christmas. In, com- in case you forgot what the Grinch is like, check out the screen.
1: What do you want? What? Mr. Grinch, I came to invite you to be holiday cheermeister. Holiday who be Cheermeister. Huh? Cheermeister, celebrate with friends. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a good one. (laughs) I know you hate Christmas, but what if it's all just a misunderstanding? don't care. I mean, I myself am having some Yuletide doubts. (laughs) But maybe if you can reunite with the Who's and be a part of Christmas... Then maybe if you can reunite with the Hoos and be a part of Christmas, grow up! Then maybe it'll be all right for me, too! I'm sorry, your session is over. Please make another appointment with the receptionist on the way out. So will you come? Oh, all right. <laughs> I don't know if it's that adorable twinkle in your eye or that non-conformist streak that reminds me of a younger, less hairy me, but you've convinced me Who knows? This humiliation could change my entire outlook on life! Really? No. Hmm.
0: That's the Grinch we remember, right? I grew up with the classic version of the Grinch. Um, some have seen just the newer one. Doesn't matter which one, though. Usually I get infected by the song, you're a mean one, Mr. (laughs) Grinch, right? You end up humming that throughout the whole day. But have you ever looked at those lyrics? Your heart is an empty hole. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your heart's a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots, right? Now, Christmas is supposed to be that time of celebration and joy, and we uh, share love and goodwill with others. But I wonder, maybe in a small way, if we cannot, in some small way, relate to the Grinch. Because there are some things during this season that, for us, we allow our heart to shrink. Maybe for you, it's family. You just came off of Thanksgiving. And you're like, my family, they know how to push my buttons. And now we're going to go see them at Christmas, right? And so you're, you're like not looking forward to that. So maybe it's family that's gotten you there. Maybe for some of you, it's memories of Christmas past, that there was somebody here last year with you, and they're, they're not here this year. Or maybe it's just the stress in general of Christmas. You know Christmas brings school programs, you know Christmas brings shopping, Christmas brings travel, and so you're on edge, and that's got your heart to shrink just a little bit. Maybe it's the fact that you signed up for the LifePoint Debt-Free Christmas Challenge, and you're trying to hold on to that, and you're like, this is hard. Wait till you get to January, keep going. But right now, it's hard to hold to that challenge. Maybe some of these things have gotten you to the point where your heart is shrinking just a little bit. For the Grinch, he had something going on and he absolutely wanted to ruin Christmas for everyone. And he attempted to by stealing all of their toys. And then there's this magical moment that I want you to see. Check out the screen.
1: For the final note in my symphony of downright nasty, not niceness. The crescendo of my odious opus. <clears throat> oh, the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. The bellowing of the bitterly bombed out. It'll be like music to my ears. Then the Grinch heard a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Aye, this sounded merry. But it was merry, very. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. (laughs) He saw it came without ribbons, it came without digs, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe. Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. happened then, well, in Whoville they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day.
0: (laughs) I love that part. Max, help me, I'm feeling... But that magical moment is when the narrator, and it was in the classic version as well, when he says, the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. And so I, I want us to look at a question in, in our time today kind of around that. There's so much uh, with Christmas, maybe in life in general, has you at that spot where you're just down and out, or Christmas brought that along But what would it look like to have a heart that's growing in love for others? That's the question. What would it look like to have a heart that's growing in love for others? Well, we're going to do like we do every week. We're going to seek God's wisdom in that. And so I'm going to ask that the ushers come down with Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, uh, this is a gift from the church to you. Or if you just need to borrow it, go ahead and signal to them. Um, And you can put it in the back on the way out. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, if you want to start to turn there. Often, Jesus would be asked a question that kind of went like this. Jesus, tell us what is the most important thing to know or to do. And Jesus, in different words, but would say basically this, love God and love others. And in our story today, Jesus is telling a story to a man to help him understand what that would look like. And so let's start out in verse 30 of Luke chapter 10. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, the stretch from Jericho or Jerusalem to Jericho is a bad stretch of road. You just never wanna be on that alone. It's like when you have told somebody, hey, I went over to this part of town, and they say, ooh, next time, do not do that. Go around or avoid that. For those listening to this story, the Jewish audience would go, that 17 to 18 mile stretch is a stretch that you never want to be on or travel alone. It's just a bad spot because there's cliffs, there's little caves, and the robbers and thieves would hang out in those places to do exactly what we see here in the story, where they robbed the guy, they beat him, and they left him for dead. And then we see that a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. I like getting a visual of that verse right there. Because it's almost as if the the priest was on the side of the road where that injured man left for dead is, is on his side, in his lane. And that priest walks and in his periphery sees the man and then walks to the other side. And then you see the temple assistant, it it reads like he's on the other side. He's drawn to this man, but yet does the same thing as the priest, just walks by. And then we see a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And what you and I have to grasp from this this passage right here, the Samaritan, the Jewish audience does not want this person to be the hero of the story at all because a Samaritan is part Jewish and a big part of something else. They have nothing in common and they actually hate each other. And so if you could picture, you know, put, if you're a sports person, put it in sports terms. You know, last week Michigan beat Ohio State. It is like a Michigan fan going and helping an Ohio State fan. Not gonna happen. Political season, take your camp. Trump or Hillary It's one of them helping out each other. Not gonna happen. It's just, for those hearing the story, this isn't, this guy better not be the hero. And, and they aren't supposed to help each other. Yet we read that the Samaritan had compassion on this Jewish man. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Didn't even say Samaritan, by the way. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And so as we look at the question of what would it look like to have a heart that's growing in love for others, I think we can go to this story and pull out many things. We're going to pull out four today. The first one being this. I must believe that my neighbor is anyone with a need. It's interesting from Jesus' perspective, our neighbor isn't the one who's geographically close to us. From Jesus' perspective, our neighbor is anyone who has a need. That neighbor may be across the street, may be across town, may be across the world, may look like you and me, may look different. A neighbor, from Jesus' point of mind, is anyone who has a need. And we need to believe that and claim that. Because our neighbor could be our friend, it could be our enemy as well, but they are a neighbor, they are somebody who has a need. And this world is filled with people who are beat up, some physically, but many through life. Life has them down and out and they have a need. And the question before us is, am I looking for my neighbor, my unlikely neighbor? The one who has a need. I want to give some wise advice from one of my famous neighbors. I grew up with this guy. His name is Mr. Rogers. Some of you will have to Google this. Uh, Others will go, yes, that's my famous neighbor as well. But here's what he said. If you could only sense how important you are to the lives of those you meet, how important you can be to the other people you may never even dream of. There is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. Are we looking for our neighbor from Jesus' perspective? i got to believe that my neighbor is anyone who has a need. The second thing, if we're going to be a people about growing in love for others, is this. I must be willing to get involved. If the first guy on this scene... We expect, right, as hearers of this story, we expect this person to help out. If you were on the family feud, put yourself there. Ready? Put your hand over the button. Name a person who would help somebody in need. You would hit it and say, man of the cloth, uh, priest, pastor, minister. But yet in the story, they walk by. Even that temple assistant who is religious does the same thing. He walks right by. And you and I sit here thinking, why would they do that? What's their reasoning? This guy's half dead. Why wouldn't he help? Why wouldn't they help? Well, we could come up with some reasons. I said it was a dangerous stretch, 18-mile stretch that's very dangerous. So they could have thought, well, you know what? Whoever did that to that person is still around. That's one. Another one could be, you know what? Maybe that person is actually part of the whole ploy. So I get close, they're going to take me out. That could be one. But I think the most likely reason is the priest and the temple assistant, they came from an environment where there was a law. That said, if you come next to a dead body, you touch a dead body, you are declared unclean, you cannot perform your duties for the week, and so I wonder if part of it was, oh, I won't be able to work, and it was just easier to go on by. We cannot tell why they walked by from the story. But perhaps it's for the same reasons that you and I may not help we wonder, we ask questions like, well, what's it going to take? How much time will it take? Because I just don't have time. It looks risky. Or, you know, I'm, this is unknown, and I've got known things to do. So a lot of times it's just easier for us to just pass, pass on by. But to have a heart that's growing for people, we have to understand that our neighbors, anyone with a need, we got to get involved. And then this next one, I must sympathize before I analyze. The first two in our story, they analyze before they sympathized. And when we do that, we're likely to not take action. And then comes this Samaritan who flips the script and he's sympathizing before he analyzes. He, we read the phrase, he saw the man and he felt compassion for him. You see, compassion is that restless but peaceful thing in your gut that says something needs to be done by someone, and that someone is me. That's compassion. And this Samaritan went there first. Imagine if he went the other way around. Because so often what we can do, and I hope you hear me on this, with with this, I'm not saying help out all your neighbors with every need and put yourself at risk. If you know me, you know my heart here. And, And I include myself in this teaching that a lot of times we can approach somebody in need and we put our own comfort first as we're reacting. And so we say, we'll react, but based on me, me first. Sometimes it's like, I don't have time. Other times it's like, they're not like me. They don't believe like me. Instead of asking God, give me as I set out today, God, I'm gonna be surrounded by people And help me to be like the Samaritan, to have compassion first. Help me to see with your eyes and have compassion and then act. Versus putting myself at the center before I react. What if the Samaritan analyzed first? Picture it from the Samaritan if he analyzed first. There's a man that has long-term needs, like major long-term health needs. There's a man who has no money. There's a man who has no transportation. So I've got to take him all around. There's a man who's a different race. There's a man who's a different uh, social economic background. And there's a man who, if the tables were turned, probably wouldn't help me. That would be analyzing. But yet we saw the Samaritan, he sympathized first, and what happened then? He saw a man, and a man had a need, and he acted on it. You see, to have a heart that's growing in love for others, yes, I've got to believe that my neighbor is anyone with a need. I've got to get involved, and I must sympathize before I analyze. And then the last thing today is I must get off my donkey. What are you thinking? <laughs> Come on now, this is church. I'm going with the storyline. You know, get off your donkey. Yes, we have to pray. Prayer is necessary. But as Jesus you know, said here, his last few, the last words in the story, his sentences were, you see that guy that's Samaritan? That is the one who lo- truly loved their neighbor. And then in that like, drop the mic moment, Right after that, he says, now go do the same. Boom. I wish we had the rest of the story here. What did this guy who heard this story, what did he go do? We don't have that. But you and I have heard the story. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do to have a heart that is growing in love for others after hearing a story like this? And what I want to do with our time together is just the remaining time is just to kind of talk about some ways that people have done this. How have they had a heart that's growing in love for others? What does that look like? I'm just going to throw out some stories, some different examples. Here's a guy named Joe Resto. He's 23 from uh, New York. You may have seen this uh, January, February time frame of this year. Uh, Joey was working, heading home on the A train from downtown back to Brooklyn. He got in the train and he came upon a homeless man who was beaten up, had no shirt, he's bloodied, and Joey takes his shirt off of himself, helps put it on the guy, then takes his hat and put it on his bloodied head, and then he asks the guy to come home to give him a warm meal and to give him a new set of clothing. And then Joey said this, I don't know how anyone could have walked past him and had extra clothing and not given it to him. It just came from the heart. You see, that's compassion. That's love. He saw a need. He met a need. Here's another one. This is Ron Klabundy and his family from Wake Forest. They go to our Wake Forest location. Ron uh, had a church in Virginia and they did several food packing events, and they would send the food overseas. And there was this businessman who attended one of them, and he was so excited after the packing, and they're in the boxes, he said, so Ron, what's gonna happen now? Now that this stuff is packed, where's it going? And so he said, it's going to Haiti, which is good. And the businessman got really agitated, and he said, why aren't you addressing the 60,000 Uh, kids in the u.s that have uh, hunger needs what are you what are you doing this is great what are you doing for the community and so ron and his wife saw that need and they went out and created generosity feeds and what they do is they pack meals for a community the community comes together they pack meals we did this at our wake forest location last march packed 10,000 meals, worked with the schools and all of that to understand the number, packed those meals, and then over a period of months, those meals were distributed to children and family in the Wake Forest community. Those 10,000 meals went out to the community. Ron and his wife heard of the need, and they met the need. Here's another one, another family this is Tad and Whitney Akers. M- many of you may have seen Tad drum. Whitney sings, but she also works with youth. And they didn't go and start a 501c3, but uh, for them, they are incredibly good at just loving their neighbor. For them, it's their physical neighbor. They met uh, a young lady across the street and they just drew her in, connected her to the youth group and that community there. Uh, Whitney met another woman in her neighborhood who is now attending her weekly Bible study. And then the Akers family heard of another family who the mom has some extreme medical needs. So they saw the need and they simply knew loving probably means to help by taking the kids trick-or-treating just recently to allow, because the mom wasn't going to be able to do it, to take the kids trick-or-treating, to take the kids on play dates. They simply were loving their neighbor. They were interacting enough with them to hear the needs. And then they just went and met those needs. Here's Lori Ehlert and her family. They go to the cross, carry Crossroads location. And Lori speaks Spanish and about 15 years ago, she said, I, I wanna put these Spanish speaking skills to work. How can I help with it? So she stumbled upon, with love from Jesus, many of you know that organization, they help the down and out of our community with food and clothing and household items, as well as spiritual needs, so they can come there and be prayed for and hear a short message. And so Lori, multiple times a week, over the past 15 years, shares the message of Jesus in Spanish and prays with people in their language. She simply just went and did. Jesus said, "Go and love God and love others." And th- this, what we looked at, is just a few of those examples of what it would look like to to do that. Now I know the LifePoint families. I don't know each one of them, and what I know is their motivation. Why do they love others? It comes from a deep love for Jesus, who loved them first and can we go and do and love people but not love God absolutely we can go and love people and not love God but I will tell you when that is the motive I have seen it over and over and over again you will grow tired you will grow weary you will grow cynical you will get bitter and angry but here's a fact You cannot love God and hate people. Because as you love God, he's going to move you toward other people. Independent of whether you feel they're worthy or not. That's going to be a battle that you're going to feel, and you're going to have to reconcile that with God. But he's going to move you to love a person, whether they feel worthy, whether they look like you or are like you or believe like you. He'll move you because there's a need There is a neighbor, a person in need. And think about what he's calling us to do. As a Christ follower, like if you're not a Christ follower, uh, but I wanna talk to the Christ followers, he's calling us to do something that he did himself. We're the person in the ditch in this story. What do you mean? What's the need? The need is for forgiveness of our sins, which we could never ever take care of ourselves. Yet he was willing to get off his donkey, if you will, from the perfectness of heaven down to the limited earth to pay the highest price. Like the person in our story, if it costs more, I'll take care of it. Jesus did that. He paid with his life for us. I didn't look like him. I didn't even say yes to him yet, but he was willing to die for me and for the forgiveness of my sins. We are called, as Christ followers, to love in that way. It is so easy to come to church to prepare for a message and and be inspired by Jesus' story and get excited, and to, to leave here with every intention to act, but so often we can get, you know, fail not to for many different reasons. You know, the first two people in our story, they were coming from Jerusalem, which likely meant that they were at church recently, which means there's a big difference between being religious and truly loving God and loving others. And it's my prayer for us today that as we go from here, we would act on needs that we see and that we truly love God and love others. And part of loving others, you need the love of God to understand how much you're loved. And if for you, you've never accepted his love, it begins by saying, I have a need to be loved and to be forgiven. I just want to encourage you. That's why we exist as a church is to help kind of you two meet (laughs) Jesus in you. And I would say, don't leave today without at least starting a conversation of, "Tell me more about this non-religious kind of love of God to a personal love of God." And then may each one of us go and from this place go and love others, love our neighbor who is anyone with a need. I don't know who that is for you, who or what. It may be a person across the street, but you know what? It may be a person that's in your house, who, you know, has you, you're having a tough time with where they're at. But I, I challenge you to have the perspective of Jesus, because if Jesus moved away from you or people not like him, like you, You would have never been saved, never been shown the love of God. And so pray for that person that you are feeling that tension with. Give me your heart of love that breaks for others. It may be somebody in your house, maybe somebody across town. What if we didn't wait for our neighbor to come to us, but we went to anyone who is in need? Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for doing first What you're calling us to do, Jesus stepped out of time and came and loved us who didn't love him first. And out of that, you have given us peace and joy and hope. Now, Father, it is our prayer. All of us here, I pray that we ask to go and love you with so much love and strength that the heart that's overflowing despite our circumstances, with the joy and the peace and the love that only you can bring, that we will be moved out towards others before they come to us and help us to see that need and meet a need. We love you, and it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.